All right, I'm gonna draw us back together here, friends. We're gonna sing this refrain before we encounter the teaching text. So singing together. Come and fill our hearts with your peace. You alone, O Lord, are holy. Come and fill our hearts with your peace. Shed Bible, it's page 1084, and today we're reading from Philippians 1, 3 through 6. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You want to flip one page over to chapter 4 verses 10 through 13 I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me indeed you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it I'm not saying this because I'm in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is the word of the Lord. So, Lord, we ask that you would do indeed that. Would you fill our hearts with your peace? Would you illuminate our eyes so we can see what's happening in your grand narrative? And would you invite us to greater depths of joy and participation in your life? In Christ's name, amen. Well, friends, it's good to be with you. I realized yet again this week that the world is a divided place. 
On Facebook, there are these people, if you've seen these. And then there's the people who are not, which is me. So if you don't know what this is, you're in good company. So some solidarity. Anyway, just to say that if you've seen these floating around, I don't know what they are either. Some sort of word game. We can continue. Hey, that's it. <laughs> Truly nothing more than that. Uh, my name's Tim, if we haven't had a chance to meet, and I'm one of the pastors here and really love being so. And today we're looking at uh, continuing our series of what it means to be grounded in following Jesus. Uh, the last couple weeks we looked specifically at what it looks like to be rooted and grounded in community, uh, specifically the people and the places that are around us. We even took a look at one of those famous Bible verses often quoted out of context. This is out of Jeremiah 29. Ashley shared this with us. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. She referenced this as probably the most used verse around college selection. Maybe not what the author intended. I don't know. And today we encounter another one of those verses that is often used for things that I don't know if the author intended. Uh, you may have heard Susie read it. I can do all things through him or through Christ who gives me strength. I've quoted this internally a time or two, most likely before an exam I didn't study for or before jumping into a gnarly bowl that I shouldn't have been skiing in. And yet, we find these things in, in the scriptures, and they do mean something far more profound than what we give them credit for. And this one in particular comes out of the book of Philippians. This is a fascinating book. It is one of Paul's shorter letters in the New Testament. It's just these, these four chapters. And so, as such, if you are looking for a way to find yourself a little more grounded in a practice this week, I would invite you to read it every day. It does not take very long. So that invitation is out there. I will do it the same. Now, it's an encouraging book. It's where the central theme of this text is God's faithfulness and our joy, the joy of the people of God who meet God in God's faithfulness. This is this book. It's, it, you can wrap your fingers around the pages and go back and forth if you have a, a Bible with you today. This book shows that participation in the life of God brings great joy. And that's at the key part of our invitation this morning. Joy is a central theme. Now, I want to look at this book um, as, as multiple parts. There are two texts that Susie read that kind of bookend this whole thing, if you will. This first one, we get this beautiful look at the faithfulness of God. It says, this is chapter one, because of your partnership in the gospel from that first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful or will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. In urging the readers, the recipients of this text to say, we're leaning into what God is doing. So you can rest into that. At the beginning of this book, putting forward a picture of a faithful God. And then we look to the end of the text for what it means to respond as a faithful people. We get this second text that Susie read. This is out of chapter 4 at the end. For I have learned to be content in whatever 
the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And it's not that the scriptures are a, are a puzzle to be solved, but as we immerse ourselves in the narrative of this particular book, this letter to the Philippian church, we see that out of God's faithfulness comes an invitation to be a faithful people. And in the beginning, we see God's promise of showing up and carrying forward the good work. And at the end, we see almost what it means to step into the process of that, to be the faithful people that step into things like joy and contentment. And so not to be kind of formulaic about this text, but I think as, as the narrative leads us, what does it look like for us to be fully confident stepping into the good work that God has began and promises to finish, and yet we don't quite see the end. And that's where this invitation into contentment with being grounded in the reality in front of us comes to us. Grounded is a thing we've been talking a lot about. How do we as individuals and as a community stay grounded in Christ and grow deeper roots? And if we're going to take some active steps into what it means to be grounded in Christ and community and a people and a place, might we consider what Paul is putting forward, that contentment is the doorway into that life. That being grounded in the reality in front of us, content with what God may bring or what God may not bring, could be the doorway into that kind of participation. Instead of looking hither and yon and backward and forward in distraction for something else or some other people to be with or place to be. So I want to take a closer look at, at this particular text in Philippians. Um, because this text, in its context, makes actually even more sense. So if you want to take a look at the, the screen here, this is uh, the beginning of that text from chapter 4. Paul is writing near the end of this letter, and he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. Well, hang on, before we go into that, I came at this passage thinking like, okay, great. Paul is going to have one of those super clear, profound teaching that spells out everything I need to do and why and make it really specific. I don't necessarily find that here. Let's read it together. He's talking kind of in a discursive way to the letter's recipients. He says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it meaning they sent gifts and, uh, to him to sustain him. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned the secret. I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He repeats this phrase, content or contentment, a couple times. It's worth giving notice to, but I think this particular text about being content in plenty or in need makes more sense when we look at uh, Philippi as a particular place. Philippi 
is this ancient city. Far before the biblical times it existed, its location gives it the perfect opportunity. You can see it on a hill here, uh, or on the base of a hill, and it gives it a great spot to be perfectly placed for defense and culture and trade in the decades leading up to the birth of Jesus. In fact, a lot of things happen at this particular city. Uh, celebrity battlefield, if you will. These guys like Cassius and Octavian and Brutus uh, battle here, if you've heard those names, or just a Shakespeare fan. Um, they actually come to war here, making Philippi a really unique place as a Roman colony as a Roman city. So Rome is hundreds of miles to the west. And this particular city is like and became known in the ancient world as Little Rome. It was laid out like Rome. You can see the amphitheater right here. They had, if you walked through this, it'd be like walking through, anybody been to like Chinatown in New York or Little Italy, right? Those remind you of the places they were meant to mirror. Um, I would say Dutch Village in Holland, but it doesn't quite give you the sense of the Netherlands. But, but if you were walking through Philippi, you would be like, oh, I, I feel like I am in Rome. Their whole culture and economy and buildings and structures and billboards and messaging was to say, we are Rome, which is really fascinating because they're, they're not. But they are on geographically situated, connected to Rome. Here's this map, right? If you see Italy, there on your far left, there's Rome and uh, Turkey, Istanbul, and the far east over to your right. Um, the arrow is pointing right at Philippi, and it was on this trade route, the Ignatian Way, that connected the world at that time. So through Philippi flowed goods and services and merchants and wisdom and wealth that is unprecedented in the world. And it all came through this place. Literature refers to the people of Philippi as Roman and restless. But they're not Roman. And so imagine living in this place during the most uh, broad technological communication revolution in history. And everything around you is saying to you, be like this other place. Be more Roman. And in fact, not just that, but can you imagine being in a place where the constant messaging you receive is be there, not here. Go bigger and faster and more highly educated. And all of a sudden you're totally formed in a place that is saying the truth, the secret to contentment is elsewhere. The very streets you walk are pointing you to another place. I can imagine the restlessness inside, the call to another place and people and lifestyle. So why, what am I even doing here? I feel like every little child who grew up there would be like Moana, just wanting to go beyond the reef, right? Like, I can't live here. I'm not content. And so when we put that into context, I think Paul's words have a different ring to them, to a people in a place that is bred discontentment. He is saying, here's another narrative. To actually be present with your people in this place means you too must learn the secret to being content, well-fed or hungry in any and all situations. It lands a little differently 
It feels a little closer to home for me too. And to top it all off, not only is Paul writing this letter to these people in this place with that ethos, but he's doing so from jail, a place where the stark reality of restlessness and options and wanting to be somewhere else becomes very clear. I have a good friend who spends time in prisons and volunteers his time as a spiritual director in conversation with inmates. And the first thing he says is, this is, this is a BS-free zone. Things get real really quick. There's a clarity that people come to. And I think Paul is inviting his readers and us to come to that kind of clarity and ultimately contentment as the doorway to joy and participation in the life of God. Joining with the entire witness of Scripture, Paul's urging the Philippians to be grounded in the reality that is Jesus Christ, the people in place and the person that is in front of them and not somewhere else at another time and in another place. Offering contentment at the pathway and process to participate in the promises of God. So this invitation to kind of snap back to, hey, what's actually in front of you? Instead of wishing for something else in some other place, what is actually in front of you and I today? The scriptures continue to echo this. Romans 12, it's a different letter, but Paul is writing the same thing after he says to, the, to these people, another famous verse, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be re- transformed by the renewing of your minds. He follows it up by saying, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, recognizing this is where I am. These are my people. This is what my neighborhood actually looks like. How do I participate in what God is doing right now instead of the someday and in the someplace? The call of the scriptures clarifies. We see this in a different way, in a different place. Matthew 16, this is pretty stark. Peter is pushing back at Jesus and Jesus comes back to him saying, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, Jesus isn't totally saying, Peter, you suck and I don't don't need you. He's saying, come back to reality. Your mind, I love that he clarifies this, you're not concerned with the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. He's snapping him back to reality that he can be grounded in in Christ, in the people and place around him. We see this with some more skin on in John chapter 4. This is the text where Jesus encounters the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and after offering her living water, eternal life, Jesus says to her, go go and call your husband and come back. Let's continue the conversation. And she says, "I, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Not condemning this woman, maybe even bringing to light trauma and abuse and change that no other person had given validity to, but he's naming for her 
what's really happening. Trying to say, this is a good starting place where we can begin to get grounded in this reality and then move into mission and people and place together. It's as if Jesus says, no, no, this is what's true. And remember, when, when God does this, God's reality, it's releasing, it invites us to release things that become part of renewal so that when God clarifies for us, we're able to step into a new reality. At the end of this story, the woman at, at the well, she says this, it's, it's like she doesn't quite get what Jesus is doing still. She says, I know, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This woman, after a powerful encounter with God, still says, you know what? In that time, when I get to that place, when Christ comes, then everything will be explained. And Jesus does this work again. He says, no, I am he right here. I am the one. And so I think what Paul is trying to do by urging us and inviting us into contentment is to say, Jesus is right in front of you, not out there someday. Participation in the life of God with people and places is not someday when this happens or when this changes, but right in front of you. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It reminds me of these beautiful words from St. Augustine. He says, late have I loved you. Beauty ever ancient and ever new. Lo, you were within, but I outside seeking there for you. And upon the shapely things you have made, I rushed headlong, misshapen. But you were with me, but I was not with you. Missing the God who's right in front of us. Wanting to be more Roman in Rome, wanting and wondering what it's like to live somewhere out there. And the call from Paul and Jesus, who is right in front of us, say, right here, right here, I am he. This is where the life is, not someday and somewhere else. Friends, I, I'm a lot like these Philippian people, and I would imagine that you are too. It's not hard to look at distant cities, other places, other careers, other people, other friends, other places, and even times, saying that that's where God's going to meet me. That's where I will be content, and to live discontent and distracted in the present. I... I'll be the first to say, I have missed playing games with my kids because I'm busy planning some other future fun thing, right? I know what it is to be restless. I, I've been at six churches in my short career. I have had over 13 vehicles in my driving career, four of them in the last two years. 
all with basically the same chassis and engine, right? Discontentedness is in us. The allure of living in another world is very real, especially in these, this pandemic time to say, you know what? It's just really appealing to make another world or plan for another one, and I'll, I'm just gonna put everything on hold, and then I will get serious about following Jesus with these, whatever place I'm in and whatever people I'm around. And the call that Paul issues to the church in Philippi, and I think to us today too, through the power of the Spirit, is to say, actually the opportunity is right in front of you. Jesus is meeting us right here in the places we inhabit, in the people who are around us, and is inviting us to take a step into that. The faithful God is inviting us to be faithful people in the present right now. I, the allure of a future job, a future spouse, a relationship that will come to be, maybe when we're retired or the kids are out of the house or when this or that changes, that's when I'm going to get serious with stepping into where God is leading me. And I don't want us to be people who get years down the road and have the regret to say, actually, God was calling me then into something real, to be with people now and to inhabit the place, my neighborhood, this church right now, to dig in, to snap back to reality, to encounter the Jesus who is right in front of us saying, I am he right here. And that's the invitation that's before us, to snap back to reality and to be loved by the Jesus who invites us into his presence. And so Paul invites renewed commitment from the people of Philippi. What it, to be content, to step into the present life of God, he's asking them, what, it, what narratives do you have to give up? What control or illusions or distortions or other realities that just breed discontentment and anxiety? What do you have to give up? And so the question for us today is, is one we want to pose often is, what do we need to surrender? What alternative narratives or hopes that aren't of God or that are just causing discontentment, do we need to lay down? Are there possibilities that aren't just, that aren't gonna happen? I don't love this question. I wanna be like pastor of possibilities and fun. But there's, there's like a real sobering reality to this. What are you and I called to give up? Is there something you're discerning or troubled in your spirit about? Maybe it's a job move, a house move, a relationship, whatever it is, that, that is time to surrender and say, I need contentment in Jesus Christ. I need to lay this thing down. I would encourage you, if you are someone equipped with a pen, pencil, or writing utensil, write that down. Put it in your phone. If it would be helpful to pray with somebody and name this thing out loud, to name some of the, the power structures around it and, and invite God into that space. You know, Brian's back by the prayer wall. Any of us pastoral staff would love to pray with you and say, what are you called to surrender this morning? Not only so we don't miss out on the places and people around us, but so that we can participate in the very life of Jesus who says to us, come all who are weak and weary and I will give you rest. Christ offers himself for 
you. An alternative and true reality to be grounded in. Paul would say in another place that it is in he we live and move and have our being. And that Jesus, that healing, that easy yoke, that lifting of the burdens, that deep soul contentment is available to you and I right now. And so would God give us the ears to hear it, the eyes to see it, and the willingness and courage to lay down and surrender what is hindering us. So we can participate actively in what God is doing. I feel my spirit say in that moment, but, 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 but wait, my control kicks in. Will I be provided for? Will God meet me there? And I think, I think Paul anticipates this and he ends his letter to the Philippians uh, with this, just a few verses later in 419. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so we encounter Christ for us and with us, in us and through us here at this table. God is aware of our fleeting memories and shortcomings. And so each week with abundance and generosity and repetition and regularity trains us to say, come and I will do for you what you cannot do for yourselves. And so we say these words together. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we're so grateful you meet us. Would you come to us? Look us in the eye, oh, Jesus. Reveal yourself as ultimate reality to us again and again. And God, in light of your generosity, we say how right and good and joyful thing it is. Lord, at all times and in all places to give thanks to you, God, almighty creator of heaven and earth. And so therefore we praise you joining our voices together with the angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn and proclaim glory to your name. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so Lord, as we, as we lay down our hopes and dreams and anxieties before you, would you come and do what we could not do for ourselves? Would you heal us and restore us? And would you make this cup and this bread unto us the body of Christ. Would you nourish us and sustain us, O Lord? In Christ's name we pray. So it's a meal that we encounter afresh. 
that Jesus spells out for us as he's having his last meal with his disciples. He says, this is the, my body which is broken for you. And he breaks the bread. And after they're done eating, he takes the cup and he pours it and says, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's the new promise of life with God. And so we do the same every week. We rehearse the story. We step into it because God is calling us to participate with our whole selves here and now. And will meet us with contentment and joy. So let's also rehearse the story with our words. I invite you to stand as we say this together. That Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So friends, come and take and eat. All things are now ready for you. We have four tables around this room. We have allergen-free elements. Take your time and space. Discern what the Spirit is doing and inviting you to do. We have uh, these prayer walls around the room too and places where you can write a prayer and put it in and know that you will be prayed for and prayed with. And so would you trust that God will meet us in this place as God always does. In Christ's name, come and eat.